I think I think one of the reasons this incubator farm has worked is because she isn't an expert in our enterprises and like she is doing pigs that is her focus and we can collaborate on things and work together but she she doesn't have the stress of like oh that's a bad choice don't do that but I'm not going to tell you that because it's an incubator farm and we don't have the like you know there's many mentors in the community that I have that I love dearly and they have really good advice and every single one of them has one hill that they're willing to die on that I'm like I don't agree with you on that um, and so I think it's been really beneficial to be in a place where both that is her attitude and there isn't that like I've been doing this for 40 years and now you're coming in and trying to raise sheep and you're doing it wrong. Welcome to the 265th installment of Ear to the Ground, the Land Stewardship Project's podcast on family farming, regenerative agriculture, regional food systems, and local democracy. I'm Brian DeVore, editor of the Land Stewardship Letter. Dana Burtness calls the incubator system she and her husband Nick Nowen have set up on Nettle Valley Farm a kind of informed sink or swim experience. And the first two incubatees to pass through the program appear to be, at the least, treading water vigorously as they take the next step in their farming careers. Bailey Lutz and Heidi Eager recently wrapped up a three-year stint at Nettle Valley, which is a pasture-based livestock operation in southeastern Minnesota's Houston County. Burtness says that when she was launching her own farming career about a decade ago, she benefited greatly from being on an incubator farm. It not only allowed her to make mistakes without the financial burden of owning land and infrastructure, but helped her decide what type of farming she did not want to do. Burtness makes it clear Nettle Valley's incubator is not an internship, job, or apprenticeship. It's set up so that beginning farmers can share land and equipment as they run their own enterprises separate from Nettle Valley's main business. In return, incubatees provide 12 hours of labor per month to Burtness and No One's livestock enterprise. Communication is key to making it work. During the incubator period, there are weekly check-ins and an off-farm mediator is used to deal with conflict. Lutz and Eager, who are both in their mid to late 20s, say their experience in Nettle Valley has been an invaluable way to make mistakes without being exposed to the risks that come with owning land and infrastructure. Burtness, for her part, says besides having the opportunity to support the next generation of farmers, the incubator program provides Nettle Valley a chance to better utilize its land base. Burtness and Nowen are raising heritage breed hogs for direct marketing on about 10 acres of pasture and would eventually like to use 67 acres of grass-pastured and silvopastured land they have access to. Lutz's Listenmore Farm raises goats and Eager's Radical Heart Farm produces sheep and chickens. Burtness says having multi-species grazing present on the Nettle Valley operation helps make better use of the landscape, much of which is hilly and marginal. After a practical Farmers of Iowa field day that was held on Nettle Valley Farm in late summer, I chatted with Burtness, Lutz, and Eager about the incubator program. Burtness started out describing how the program is set up and how it's produced benefits not just for the two beginning farmers, but for her and no one as well. Yeah, so three years ago we started the our incubator farm program model. And um, the idea there is that it's not an internship, it's not a job, it's not an apprenticeship. Young farmers come and stay with us and share land, share equipment, and are able to really launch and grow their own enterprises with the goal of them moving on and starting their own farms, renting their own farms, hopefully in the area. When I was a young 20-something vegetable farmer, I was able to be a part of an incubator farm program and I was able to make really good mistakes mistakes that maybe would have been pretty tough to weather had I had a mortgage and a tractor payment and the stress of owning and managing an entire farm 
so that gave me space to sort of grow a business. Also, farming on vegetable farming on rented land over time let me figure out that I don't actually want to be a vegetable farmer. And that's another important role of incubator farm programs is maybe you think you want to be a cut flower farmer, but in the and in the past you've worked on cut flower farms. But once you are the cut flower farmer and you're in charge of everything, soup to nuts, maybe you don't like it so much. Maybe what you really want to do is, I don't know, uh, medicinal mushroom growing or something. So I think that's it's an important place to be able to try those things out before committing to a certain landscape and a certain financial obligation. And it would seem like, just from the little tour I saw here, you've got um, Bailey and Heidi who are incubating with you now. And... Uh, they're doing sheep and goats. That makes means you don't have to be a sheep and goat farmer. You can specialize in what you do really well, which is raising hogs, it sounds like. That's exactly right. Um, and I think the future of farming, we need to move more into collective, collaborative farming. I'm not talking about communes necessarily, but I do think... Uh, we, we need to be able to, to farm in a way that doesn't force us to do everything all the time. We need multi-species grazing to happen. We need uh, people helping each other out with their enterprises, but that doesn't all have, have to happen on a small family farm or a nuclear family farm either. And I think this is our our way of dipping our toe into experimenting. Well, what's, what does that look like? Because this land does need sheep and goats and, and eventually needs cattle and it needs pigs and needs all these things but I certainly don't want to manage all of those enterprises I know myself well enough to know that I need to do one maybe two things <laughs> and just focus on that and this is a way for um hopefully everyone to to benefit I also just really love learning about other people's enterprises yeah. and just looking out my kitchen window and seeing the the Heidi's pastured broilers um munching away on grass and bugs and organic feed and that um, just brings me a lot of joy. And then also to know, know, know that I don't have to do the chores. <laughs> yeah. Just in the short tour that we did, it was really fun to have them. It was like we got added uh, value for our dollar, our tour dollar, because each person can talk about a certain part, a particular way of, of managing the landscape and, and the way livestock interact. And it was that was kind of a neat way to do it, I think. I agree. And, and each of us has a, a different sort of philosophy. I mean, it all aligns pretty well, but each of us has a different philosophy and approach to how we want to farm and we have different relationships with the land and the livestock and I think it's I've learned a lot from Heidi and Bailey over the year these last three years and I'm really grateful for the experience yeah can you just give us a thumbnail of kind of logistically how you how you have the incubator set up yeah so this is our first uh three-year cohort now it's coming to a close for the incubator farm program and it's been a real steep learning curve I mean we went into it with us with as much intentionality as we could for doing something that we had never done before um so we did know a few things right off the bat we wanted to make um certain expectations really clear about how you know you need to bring your own skills and entrepreneurship and um things like that to the farm we did know that right off the bat we wanted to have an off the farm um mediator for because i mean conflict is normal when you know my mentor liz and decor always says if you're not in conflict you're not in community and so we knew from the get-go that we wanted to have somebody who understood farming 
knew all of us and could act as sort of a facilitator and a mediator if necessary. And so we asked Martha McFarland of Hawkeye um, Buffalo Farm to be our our house facilitator, our program facilitator. And so that's really helped. Um, And then, yeah, I think if starting this next cohort, we'll have a lot more things written down. Um, Before, it was a lot of discussions. But this year, you know, I've already got like a 10-page document for the next... Uh, group of incubatees because a lot of conflicts come from hidden expectations and these last three years have really helped us figure out um, what our own hidden expectations are like for instance um, I, one of our incubatees had had more of an understanding that it would be you know an incubator farm is is a like a, a safe secure place and that's that's fairly protected and I guess we've been thinking of it more as as more of like an informed sink or swim opportunity so we'll tell you all the reasons that you shouldn't do a cut flower farm here because of the deer pressure and the lack of facilities but if you really want to and you want to try some innovative approaches like go for it it's your opportunity and so just even something as simple as that um, now we have that written down and we have that described so someone could read through that 10 page document and have a pretty good sense of am I okay with this level of communication like um, at least especially for the first few months we do weekly check-ins and we have some like conversational cues about conflict um, and that might not be a good fit for somebody but my goal is that long term we need a huge nationwide network of these incubator firms so that um, people can find what's a a spot that's a good fit for them. I then talked to Bailey Lutz and Heidi Eager about their incubator experience on Nettle Valley and why it's been a key step in their farming journey. Eager started out describing what drew a suburban kid from St. Paul to a life of raising livestock amongst the woods and hills of Minnesota's driftless region. I had a nice big backyard, but my parents are very confused that I'm farming because I hated going outside. Um, I'm a mosquito magnet, which is one of the reasons I love being in the driftless, is there are less of them. Um, But I went to college and got involved in the student organic garden at the University of Minnesota Morris, um, and then started doing farm internships from there. I've been, uh, I did seven different farm internships. There was a season in the middle there where my sister and I grew half an acre of vegetables um, at a different incubator farm, and we learned that we didn't like growing vegetables. We were on really dead soil, and so it was a really good visceral example of oh, animals are really important, fertility is really important, Mm. soil health is really important. So we both took a step back. Um, She went and did more uh, office nonprofit uh, experiences. I worked at a couple of diversified and livestock farms and totally fell in love with sheep. Yeah, similarly to Heidi, I grew up in the suburbs of Minneapolis. Um, I wasn't a particularly outdoorsy child, but I loved... Animal Planet and Discovery Channel and wanted to be a veterinarian when I grew up. And then as I got older, I was really interested in like conservation biology. I had this lofty goal of working with Amur tigers in Russia and China and kind of helping reestablish those populations and got to school at the University of Minnesota Twin Cities and worked in a lab in the entomology department that was working with biological pest control, specifically with parasitoid wasps. 
and I was managing their greenhouse growing soy and wheat and corn and various like native plant species. That kind of greenhouse work brought me to a conversation with a farmer at a co-op in Minneapolis that I was working with and just talked to him about what his farm looked like and I started volunteering in his greenhouse in the spring. Then that turned into a work share for my CSA and I was there throughout the season and just fell in love with doing really hard, dirty work. Um, I'd been working in restaurants previously, which is a very different type of really hard, dirty work. Um, But working in the field, something just like really captured me and... I found a season-long apprenticeship on a diversified farm in central Minnesota and really fell in love with the goats there and have my, my herd of goats now. So my understanding is this is you're in the third year of this what is a th- it's a three-year three-year uh, incubator type setup. Give me an idea of your Heidi you're doing sheep and you're doing goats uh, Bailey. So what have you I guess, now that you're at the end of this, you're kind of wrapping up a little bit this three-year, we're here, we're kind of in the end of the summer here, so be wrapping that up. What was some of the biggest surprises when you first thought you were going to start doing something like this? What what have you learned and what some of the surprises, both pleasant and unpleasant, I guess? <laughs> Specific to the farming itself, I kind of had like this wake-up call of sorts that to like make a living raising livestock you really need to do it at scale like I feel like a lot of kind of like models that are like really visible in a lot of places are uh, not to like diminish the farming that they're doing but it's a lot of their work is more like outreach and communication to people and that's where so much of the income is coming from and there's a lot of like off-farm income coming in too to like support the farming which is like great like there are like lots of different ways to live but for me to like like support myself entirely as a as a farmer with all my income coming from my farm enterprises like I needed to do things at scale and so to just kind of have that like worldview kind of get shaken up a little bit as I started to do things for myself like okay I don't want an off-farm job so I need to make things like financially viable with my farming endeavors was kind of one of the yeah the one of the first big surprises more generally what about you honey I have done a lot of farm internships and so I've seen a lot of things that surprised me and then when I was here I think maybe just like how, especially during COVID, like having the sheep was just so grounding. Mm. And I love sheep and I love their personalities, but I didn't, I think I was surprised by like how deeply I feel connected to the sheep. And I I love farming because of like landscape change and, and ecological health. And I like, like, I was expecting to like my sheep and to enjoy what they could do for the land. But I don't think I was expecting to like feel so grounded um, just by being around them, mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah. Describe a little bit your enterprises. So I have uh, nine Katahdin ewes there, and I raise 100% grass-fed lamb and mutton, um, and I sell direct to consumer. Mm-hmm. So usually whole animals, whole lambs, and then bundles of mutton. And I think one of my great life's crusades is to help people realize that grass-fed mutton is really good, and it's not the thing that your grandma told you horror stories about. <laughs> I have uh, 13 Kiko and Spanish does, and 
they're the resulting 21 kids. So I raise goats for meat. I like to call it forest raised because that's where they are. They're in the woods. And along with that comes some prescribed grazing work. Right now at the incubator farm, it is not paid. It's something though that when I leave leave Nettle Valley that it will become like a fully fledged enterprise and to do that very successfully you need a lot more than 13 does and their kids so I I definitely plan to to grow significantly beyond that and continue selling meat which has right now been direct to eater but then this coming winter I'm getting into some wholesale accounts uh, with co-ops in the cities and that's kind of like the focus I would like to take to is wholesale accounts. Because um, my strong suit is not customer service. I, I much prefer hanging out with the goats than I do sending emails to customers, which some people are really good at. And I applaud them. And I'm like, how do you do this so well? What does it take? So I'm, I'm much more excited to keep growing the prescribed grazing aspect of my business. This incubator system, I would think, would be a great way to, frankly, make mistakes making some cheap mistakes it sounds like I would definitely agree with that I think I didn't have as good of an understanding of biosecurity which is a little unfortunate for the people who come after us but uh, learned a lot about biosecurity learned a lot about what I'm looking for in breeding stock and so being able to start on a really small scale not having to buy 40 used to pay for a farm mortgage yeah being able to just like slowly grow and then learn yeah I, I would echo all of what Heidi said just the opportunity to like figure figure out like is this actually what I want to do how can I like modify things right now that won't like impact me long term you know moving forward being able to get your business to a place where you can capitalize it moving forward when you do have a lot more overhead costs is really great yeah I think if I were trying to start a farm on land I owned it wouldn't happen mostly because like the reality of purchasing land right now is terrifying um so being able to like yeah take this time to like start my business and figure out what that uh, what the future can look like while I'm kind of in this like protected limbo kind of area has been really great because it's allowed me to to think pretty hard about a lot of different things, um, especially biosecurity. Like what Heidi is saying, that's something that I think we've all really benefited from being here. Is like it, it kind of like coincides really nicely with like COVID concerns of like how do we protect each other um, and how do we protect the people coming after us too. Yeah, what's like what's one one or two mistakes that you made here that were like, oh, I'm glad I ain't making these mistakes on land I'm farming or rent or I'm owning or renting somewhere. This is a not a huge mistake. It's not a huge deal, but I um, have sheep that have hoof rot, mm. which is you know pretty common, very manageable, not a huge deal. But knowing that that is something that I can avoid if I choose breeding stock very carefully, I'm going to a farm that hasn't had animals in ten years, and so if I don't buy an animal with hoof rot, I will never have hoof rot, mm. which is very nice. Yeah. So uh, biosecurity for sure is like a huge thing for me too. Moving forward, I had bought my original breeding stock from some folks who had a disease pop up in their herd after talking to other 
experts uh, of all kinds, you know, like farmers, vets, etc. It's like, okay, I would not have made the choice that I made in the beginning had I known, like had a much more complete picture than I thought I had in the beginning. So moving forward with a clean slate of uh, a new farm that hasn't had animals on it for a long time or ever um, is going to allow me to like, yeah, start over with being really selective with who I bring on and being able to have a very like intense biosecurity like protocol moving forward to to protect my animals and goats in other herds in other places. Dana kind of described her idea behind this incubator. I think really it was really interesting how she kind of described it in that sometimes people think of an incubator and they think well this is a risk-free you're just going to have everything taken care of kind of thing she sees it more as no you are going to be exposed to some of the risks you know you're a little bit on your own on some things but we're providing a place to make some of those mistakes and and that kind of thing is that kind of the way you, you you see it yeah I think she says informed sink or swim which I really like yeah it's been really great to I think I think one of the reasons this incubator farm has worked is because she isn't an expert in our enterprises and like she is doing pigs that is her focus and we can collaborate on things and work together but she she doesn't have the stress of like oh that's a bad choice don't do that but I'm not going to tell you that because it's an incubator farm and we don't have the like you know there's many mentors in the community that I have that I love dearly and they have really good advice and every single one of them has one hill that they're willing to die on that I'm like I don't agree with you on that Um, and so I think it's been really beneficial to be in a place where both that is her attitude and there isn't that like I've been doing this for 40 years and now you're coming in and trying to raise sheep and you're doing it wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I, I know I've made some choices that other people have witnessed me make that they wouldn't have made and no one said anything. And then, you know, dealing with the consequences of my choices, I haven't made those choices again. And I think, you know, just the, with my own personality, I, I learn a lot more from from experience than I do someone telling me something um, which is definitely coming from their experience and that's so awesome and something definitely uh, solidifies within me when I have to live through it myself so yeah I think had I been in a place that was a little more like ooh I don't think you should do this because I see this happening it probably wouldn't have been as good of a fit as um, it has been here to just kind of like make my mistakes and learn from them and also just yeah be able to uh, kind of like dream a little more and like push push my limits um because no one else is like directly involved with what I'm doing we obviously like do impact each other in certain ways but ultimately I think we're all able to kind of do our own thing which has been really great one of the things that struck me on the tour here was how well Dana and Nick are making use of what would be considered marginal land it's not prime corn soybean land and that is so important when it comes to land access for beginning farmers if they can find a way to add economic value to what's not considered prime farmland it seems like a great place to learn how to do that and you're you're using species that can do that it, that must be a really kind of a really important lesson that because people talk about well yeah beginning farmers can you know through building soil health and using some creative methods can add value to 
marginal farmland, but they're kind of doing it here. That must be, I would think that would be a really good eye-opener kind of first-person connection there. Yeah, it's been good experience to be on land like this. And I would say that one of the biggest impacts to me is it really changed the type of farmland I was looking at and the, the farmland that I thought was possible. If you can't afford to buy $10,000 an acre cornland and turn it into pasture, but you could buy woods and turn it into pasture, um, not only does that meet my goals more of wanting to improve, well, I guess both would improve habitat, but yeah, it just made, it made accessing different land feel feasible and possible. It has been a really good experience to be operating in in land that we wouldn't maybe traditionally farm. And it's also kind of like fed into a lot of my frustration around like why land prices continuing to skyrocket and like, yeah, they're not making any more land, but like this isn't something that should be commodified in the way that it is. So it's honestly been like a little disheartening to, to explore land that I would own eventually um, and trying to figure out what that can look like knowing that like okay even if I am buying wooded land there's someone who wants to like hunt on the weekends who can buy it for three times as much as I could realistically afford to buy it for and so it's just like yeah being here has raised a lot of like conversations around the the realities of land access um, for all kinds of people like I don't don't want beginning farmers to have to buy marginal land and spend half their career improving it so then it can be like really awesome land. I want people to be able to buy really healthy productive land to begin with and do even more incredible things with it. What's next for you folks? So I am renting land just 10 minutes away um, from a really wonderful landowner couple who are la- uh, Land Stewardship Project oh. members. Yeah, so they are, they're landowners. They have a really beautiful chunk of land that used to be pasture, but they've never raised animals. Mm-hmm. Um, so I get to rent rent a little dwelling from them and then put my sheep there. I've been uh, working for organic vegetable farmers in Decorah the past three years, and they have some friends who used to live in Decorah, um, but moved out to my- Wyoming a few years ago who have 18 acres and a cabin and we're really stoked to get some people living in the cabin again and they're even more excited about goats being there so that's yeah that's my my next place they just moved in there um this august and we'll be establishing some a little bit of infrastructure for the winter it's not going to be a forever place but it's definitely another good stepping stone to a forever place For more resources on ways beginning farmers can access farmland, see the podcast page for Ear to the Ground episode number 265 at landstewardshipproject.org. There, you'll also find a link to episode number 261, which describes how Nettle Valley Farm is utilizing silvopasturing to improve pollinator habitat while producing meat profitably on marginal land. If you have comments or suggestions about this podcast, contact Brian DeVore at bdevore at landstewardshipproject.org or you can call 612-816-9342. By the way, it helps us greatly if you can give Ear to the Ground rating on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or whatever podcast platform you utilize. Thanks to Laura Borgendale, a Western Minnesota musician, for Ear to the Ground's theme music. And a special thank you to all of Land Stewardship Project's members who make initiatives such as this podcast possible. If you're not a member, 
Visit landstewardshipproject.org to learn how you can support LSP. Thanks for listening.